What is crackalackin', Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you once more without my fantabulous Times Infinity co-host, Adam Frommel. Our team look-ahead train rolls on with the Boston Celtics today. I'm going to be talking with Alex Kungu, at Kungu underscore NBA, at K-U-N-G-U underscore NBA. Follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow. Uh, he does have a website, Hoop Island, where he used to write. He plans on firing that bad boy up again. You can find the link in his Twitter bio. And I told him, I think before we recorded, that I did miss his writing. So I'm happy that he's going to start. He's always a great person to talk to about the Celtics. We get into a ton. It was a blast. No, we did record before the Garrison Matthews signings. So like those little miniature moves aren't talked about here. You'll obviously forgive us for that. Don't think that's game changing. As much as I love a Garrison Matthews around here. Our quick usual housekeeping notes before we start. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Whether you use iTunes or not, though, we ask that you head over to iTunes, search Hardware Knocks, throw us that five-star rating, and write a review, even if it's critical. As long as you throw us the five-star rating, I don't care what you say. We'll take any constructive criticism to heart and implement it wherever necessary. If this is your first time listening to us because you want to hear about the Celtics or just accidentally clicked on this, please consider giving us that permanent subscription and follow. We're on at Hardware Knocks on Twitter. And as you know by now, wherever you get your podcast, because I've said it twice, you can also find us on YouTube, youtube.com, search Hardware Knocks. We will pop up, subscribe there. You can get clips, exclusives, our full podcast if you want to listen to them there and so forth. We're also on Instagram at Hardwood underscore Knox. Let's move on to some deep, deep Boston Celtics talk with Alex Kungu. Alex, thank you so much for coming back on to the Hardwood Knox podcast to talk with me about some Boston Celtics. First and foremost, though, how the hell are you? Man, I'm doing well. I just came from Seattle, Pacific Northwest. I fished for some salmon. Um, living the, I'm, I'm, I'm living the off-season life, so, but I'm definitely ready to get, get things back in gear. I'm starting to get that, back, that NBA itch back now, so I'm ready to get it. Are you moving to Seattle to get them to bring back the Sonics, or what's the story behind that? Maybe, maybe, maybe like a year and a half. You know, we'll see. Because you know, when the Supersonics come back, it, it's going to be great. I, that that city's fantastic. But I think that's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, it indeed is. So I'll start with this, and that I want to recap their off season. But I'm just wondering what your general thoughts, feelings, impressions, whatever about the off season actually was for them. Was there anything that stands out or caught off guard, that, or that you just you know you come out of the off season? one specific thing or addition or move or, or non-move that you find yourself thinking about? Man, I, I think for the Celtics, the question is what didn't catch you off guard, you know, like, I, I mean, like for some of, for, I know for some reporters, you know, the, the talks about Danny Ainge potentially stepping down were, um, you know, they were coming, but from my point of view, I didn't know it was like this season. I didn't know right. Brad Stevens, been, I didn't know Brad Stevens was going to be the president of basketball operations. Um, and the, the way, the way those moves happened so quick, it was like, that that's been a plan for at least a few months for them. Um, so going out from there, the the front office was a surprise to me. Um, the coaching staff, just you know, the changes that they made, I was really happy about it. Not just in terms of um, the diversity hire, which has been a big push for NBA players this year, but just more so that this that the team is listening to their players because from what from what I understand, you know, Tatum, Smart. Jalen, all of those guys are really pushing for more diverse hires, and mm. not not all not all not all organizations take their players' words and apply them so quickly. Um, so I was I, I was really happy to see that. Um, 
the coach was the coach was kind of a surprise to me. Um, I thought Ime was the best guy for the job, but I didn't know if being in Boston would you know mean that they would maybe look for a bigger name. Right. Um, I I thought maybe like a guy like Chauncey would it, would it, would maybe have gotten more play just because he was a former Celtic. Um, I I believe his family was with Jason in some type of way. Um, so it looked like maybe that they, they would have gone that route, but I'm happy then I'm happy then they ended up with Ime. It's actually funny just to do a quick side note watching how Portland fans have just been so upset about their coaching staff and the Celtics just got a Portland native coach who's now bringing in a coaching staff of just all Portland natives. And I, <laughs> and I, and I, and I just keep thinking like how different would the Trailblazers offseason be to their fans if they just hired Ime instead of Chauncey, but you know, maybe, maybe when your Portland guest comes on, he can talk about that. But long story short, I mean, everything surprised me. Um, and mostly a good way, mostly a good way. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about some things I'm a little bit more skeptical about, but the overall direction of the team, I was, I was very, I was very happy to see. Yeah. And look, you mentioned Chauncey. Imagine what the reaction would have been had Chauncey been hired in Boston. And then all of a sudden that's like Brad Stevens's first or second big decision, whatever it is. And so had that been flip-flopped, I like the choice that they made with Imeridoka. And I stand by, look, if, if you're not listening to Jalen Brown as an organization, you're probably doing something wrong just because he's just one of the overall smartest players in the league, like on court, off the court. So it was cool to see that they at least took his leanings and like you said, Jason Tatum's and players into account. Um, Imeridoka has been pretty open about how much he wants to see sort of his two incumbent guys, starting with Jason Tatum, elevate their playmaking and I do think after moving on from Fournier after moving Kemba Walker even though you get Dennis Schroeder they're still sort of built in a way where they're gonna need to lean on Jason Tatum even more to to set up the offense to be their their floor general for stretches and I'm just wondering based off what you know he's already made strides there I think last season we saw him make some more complicated passes and reads um, but based on what you've seen there do you think he has another gear there and would that be sort of the final frontier that separates him between he's a superstar now, but there's still that MVP click just in front of him. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the playmaking stuff is always hard because a lot of like, it's not, it's not something that's guaranteed. You know what I mean? Like you can get better as a playmaker, but there's, I could see him getting better as a playmaker and it not necessarily coming out and assist and in, in that way as well. And what, what I mean by that is if you watch Jason Tatum's passing development, I think it really, really started when he had his first hot streak, um, I believe two years ago in February, when he started becoming unguardable, off the catch, shoot three-pointers and things like that, because that was the first time defense started really adjusting to him as the number one. And what you saw was, like, he, re- he really, really learned stuff very quick. Like, he learned how to make reads really quick. So when they, learned, so when they first started double-teaming him, and I almost remember distinctly a game where that happened against Utah specifically, he struggled. A lot. He didn't necessarily know where the play was going. He picked up his dribble way too fast, and it just ended up looking crazy. But within a within a, a couple of weeks, he was able to beat that. Then, then what happened is in the bubble, he started seeing zones, a lot of zone defenses. Toronto killed him with it, and so did Miami. With his zone defense, it made him think so much that he really couldn't. He really didn't know what to do with the ball, and it kind of stifled his aggressiveness. But by the next season, last season, I'm speaking of now he seems to be able to handle the zone defenses and stuff like that. So that leaves the, the last step, I think, to me, is not just now the ability to, like, read and react, but the ability to now to anticipate and dictate defenders. So 
one thing that have the perfect the perfect person to look at is Luka Doncic, for mm. example. When you watch Luka Doncic go and even even simple cross court passes, the reason why he's able to get them so quick and hit people and they're so open all the time is because he's making the pass before the defender even is making the defensive adjustment. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they're they're still in they're still in help while he's passing into the corner, for example. So that's that level of anticipation and knowing what's going to happen before the play and doing it. That's a really hard step to make. I don't know. If, I don't know if he'll make that step to be honest, because that's really really hard. And I don't. There's not a big level of evidence of guys who aren't natural born passers making that leap. But just looking at some of the the the, the progressions he, he's made now considering some of his history of being a guy that was a point guard in high school and stuff like that. Is, is it possible? Yes. Um, but could, could he make it to that degree? Like, is he ever going to be a seven, eight assist guy average a game? I don't think so. But I also don't think he needs to. because I think he's a guy that can legitimately average 30 at the same time. Um, so to answer your question, I do think he can make a leap, but I think his leap is not, um, his leap is not elite playmaker. I, I think his, 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 comfort zone is going to be like five five six assists a game right there and i think if that's the leap we're talking about that that's possible i saw you also sort of mentioned the importance of jalen brown stepping up as a playmaker and speaking of people who aren't natural born passers have you really seen anything to suggest that he has that dimension to his get jalen brown's a fantastic player i just never looked at him after all these years and thought this is someone who can do what let's say what Jason Tatum was doing before this past season. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Jay, and I'm, I'm, I'm really happy you brought those up as two separate things. Cause sometimes the, people talk about the Jays as like one thing and they have very <laughs> different de- developmental uh, paths. So, so with Jalen last year, um, there was a really very interesting kind of diversion in his passing Early in the year, he played a lot out of, like, the mid-post. And that was where, you know, like, he was making a lot of highlights. He had his little T-bag bag going on. But one thing he was also able to do was he was able to make a lot of passes. He saw the floor better. He became, like, one of Rob's, like, like top lob threat guys. And then later in the year, when it started becoming very apparent that we weren't – that the Celtics weren't getting three-point shooting um, from other places, they asked him to up his three-point shooting. And what we saw was him taking like a lot of three-point shooting, but it became a lot less of like him holding the ball and making decisions. And it became more of him just kind of shooting, like kind of just letting it fly. So his playmaking dipped because he was playing a very specific role. Mm -hmm. Now the question is going to become now like, okay, can you get the ball to the top of the key, come off a pick, make defenses collapse and kick out the open shooters. Jalen is actually more, Jalen is actually more equipped to do that than Tatum is because he's more athletic, he's bigger, he's stronger, he can get to rim much better and finish better. So right. actually, like, he can, he can at least do the collapsing, like, get guys to collapse and kick it out. Will he, will he ever do the anticipating? Will he ever do, like, the manipulation? I don't think so. I don't think that's in the cards for Jalen, but he's, 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 he's with a lot of us wrong, so maybe. But I think what Ime may, might be looking for, if you think about it more realistically, is just Jalen being more consistent with the driving kicks. Because you can't necessarily expect him to learn how to make like these complicated reads. But if you're just telling him, hey, man, when he gets to the rim and the defense is collapsed, you're going to have guys here and here. Get used to seeing guys going here and here. And you kind of drill that into him. Over the course of time now, 
especially now that he's gotten usage, which is a thing that people forget. Like these young guys need to actually see a lot of looks and make a lot of mistakes before they get used to it. Because what what's really developing is just experience, you know. So I think for Jalen, um, he can become a guy that can drive and kick more. Um, he could, he can become a guy that I think can do a little bit more as a lob as as a lob threat, not just out of the mid post, but from the three point line as well because of his first step. Um, but like, but like, but like Tatum, I don't think the upper echelons of elite playmaking are in their cards. But I think if they can just, you know, be good playmakers, right? Um, the type of playmakers that at least can help help get their teams involved. Um, the guys that aren't necessarily being black holes like they were at times last year. I think that'd be huge. So yeah, and to, and to your point, if they try and like slow Jalen Brown down to like take away his north south jet fuel in trying to have him like use use the term manipulate the defense that would definitely be a mistake and he did improve um i wrote about this at some point in the season where it felt like his drives were less predictable uh when you looked at the volume of his passing and even his assist percentage on them and so as long as they surround him with guys who can hit those kickouts it does seem like he is more willing to make them that being said that is not a distinction that i really made when i saw um, amayadoka's comment so the way you framed it really helped me envision like the best possible jalen brown scenario in that regard yeah, yeah, it's 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 gonna be really interesting. I'm I'm really interested to see also how how smart um, plays a part into that because it looks like he's gonna be the starting point guard too. Yeah, and I guess that's do you ultimate. Well, let me start here. Their two biggest off. Well, I guess not even their two biggest. But how do you like the fits of Schroeder and Josh Richardson? I know Schroeder is billed as zero risk, and he really is. But they all of a sudden have this guy who's now playing for his next contract that they're definitely not gonna resign unless something goes incredibly wrong and so i'm wondering how that sort of factors into what they're doing and the i didn't have an issue with the josh richardson extension um it was just such a whatever number to me um but there's also the i've held out hope for josh richardson since he left miami and that's like two straight seasons of of being disappointed so i was just curious about your thoughts and optimism around their fits with this roster yeah so weirdly i'm kind of a little bit more optimistic on Schroeder just because i kind of see I see a clear path where they kind of let him be like what Goran Dragic was for Miami. Like you just kind of let him be the second unit, maybe depending on how the starting units go, maybe, maybe you just play him with Al off the bench and throughout the regular season, you can win a lot of games with Schroeder and Horford being the leaders of your second unit. Mm-hmm. So I could see, I could see them two kind of just like playing off each other, uh, doing well. I don't, I don't know where think Schroeder will close games though with injuries and stuff like that. That's a possibility. Um, but yeah, like, the Josh Richardson thing is a thing that I'm kind of iffy on because I I see what I've seen what everyone else sees. The it seems like three point shooting has been like a really swing skill for him, and the last couple of years that hasn't necessarily come true. I'm not necessarily a believer that changing uniforms necessarily changes your talent level at all. So I don't know like what the Celtics expect from that going forward. But I do know Ime Ime had a relationship with him, um, a pretty good one, and he's you know I I think he was one of the guys pushing. Uh, to bring him into Boston as well. So I know at least from the, from a defensive standpoint um, of, you know, a 94-feet guy, a potential guy that, you know, can can help you when you start thinking about who's going to defend, like the Kyrie Irvings and um, Kyle Lowry's and stuff like that. That's a guy that you think about. But the big thing for them is going to be offensive because if, you're, if your team is built around Jason and Jalen, the complementary guys have to be guys that can space the floor. And Josh Richardson has a fit defensively, but – if he's not able to shoot or if he's very streaky, um, it's going to call a lot of things into question. He might, you know, 
it could think things go south really quick in a way where I think because of Dennis's playmaking, um, ball handling, ability to kind of like, you know, run an offense, I don't think his value hinges on one skill the way I think uh, Josh Josh's does. So it's 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 eh. But uh, with, with that being said, though, I am much more happier with the with the with the role players overall because um, the Celtics played some guys that I I'm happier not wearing the uniform. Anymore. <laughs> we'll, we'll 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 just keep it at that. So do you think they ultimately? have enough playmaking or do you think you know is this the I guess who's going to be sort of most impacted aside from Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown from this current pecking order you mentioned smart being the starting point guard so are they going to ask him to do like more floor general type stuff than they normally do um did maybe we see you know a lot of a lot more of Peyton Pritchard this season I'm just curious how the the pecking order is sort of impacted by the moves that they've made yeah I think I think I think um Without question, I would say there's two guys, but I'll start with one, Marcus. Um, Marcus is a much, Marcus is going to surprise a lot of people with how good of a playmaker he is. I generally think he's been the best playmaker on the team, but I think mentally, mental, mentally wise, he's just been very like driven on proving that he's a scorer. And I think that got exacerbated more with Stevens as he was moved off ball because Celtics have had a lot of all-star caliber point guards in the position. And that's less Marcus Smart kind of being like the guy that covers for them on defense and but then does secondary playmaking. But the secondary playmaking is not enough to be necessarily known as a playmaker. So it kind of becomes where his his role has kind of been about, you know, floor spacing a little bit. And he's taken that a little bit too happily. And I think now and I think now as like just a guy I was like, look, you're responsible for running the offense. Right. You're responsible for making sure all these guys get their shots. You need to know how these guys like their shots, where they're at. He's responsible for calling out the place, knowing all that stuff on both ends, right? And I think that that's going to weirdly kind of concentrate him in a way where we can just kind of maximize the best parts of him, which offensively, I think his playmaking is actually his, his greatest tool by a pretty wide margin. Um, he's able to do a lot of the stuff that um, I'm talking about, things that Tatum and Jalen will need to kind of show. He can do a lot of those things. He, he doesn't have the scoring um, threat that creates some of the passing lanes that make it a little bit easier for the Jays to do, but he does have like the, the IQ and the feel where he can be able to manipulate defenses in in a way where um, I think will surprise people. The other guy I think that's going to get a really high, um, another guy who I think is really going to benefit um, a lot from this kind of new reshuffling is, is Rob Williams, who I think, He's showed himself to be a little bit of a passer, right? Um, I, th- I think some of that stuff is overblown a little bit. Um, I hope some fans don't kill me for that. But, I mean, like, he's more, he's still more of a secondary passer. He's not on, like, a Jokic trail or something like that. Right, he, he's, he in can the, pass. he's basically made – he made the jump before Jared Allen made the jump of, like, he can pass on those, like, shorter rolls or just as he's moving downhill. Exactly. Exactly. Like, he's – exactly. So, I think there he showed some stuff. Um, and I think – I think with the way that where the way the team is to kind of like set up now, depending on how they go with the starters, like he's he's gonna have a chance, you know, to show himself to be like a a very high level key starting caliber center, and he compliments the Jays well. They love throwing him lobs as is everyone on the team. Um, defensive wise, he's gonna be their backline communicator, their you know kind of their insurance. Um, he gets a little jumpy with with uh, shot blocking because he because you know he can jump a lot. Um, he's kind of reeled in some of that, but pick and roll 
when he's defending a, a guy like a legit shooter, that's still kind of been an issue. And I'm going to be really interested to see if this coaching staff can kind of, kind of help him get over that last hurdle, because I kind of think interior wise, he's become much more patient as a shot blocker, but mm. on the perimeter, he still jumps a lot for everyone except for James Harden, for whatever reason. I think James Harden, he's, he's just learned how to not jump for James Harden, but everybody else, he still, he still tries to leap over them. Um, so I don't, I don't get that, but I do think Rob is going to be someone that if he can stay on the floor, stay healthy, um, he can, he, he has a chance to be like really impactful for them. He could be one of those guys that um, it ends up being like the net rating darling for the team, for example, where just his, his, his impact goes far beyond the county numbers. I love it when guests answer a question before I even get to it. It makes my job so much easier. I was, I was curious about his role. The one thing that I'm still want, um, wondering is do we expect him to play a ton with Al Horford? Because then it seems like they are going to be depending on Robert Williams to be defending away from the basket more in that scenario, because I don't see Al Horford, like he still has some of that malleability to him, but he he's just getting up there. And I don't know if, you know, I thought Robert Williams got better away from the basket later on in the season, or at least maybe I was tuning in when there were flashes of it. But like you said, I don't know if that's going to be his optimal role. And so do you think that we're going to see a lot of Horford Williams minutes slash do you see those minutes going particularly well? Oh, this is fun because I really don't know. I don't know how Doga is going to, if Brad Stevens is coaching, I would tell you um, it will, it would depend on what he sees from the other wings. Cause when he went double bigs last year, it was not because he liked double bigs. It was because that's how bad guys like Grant Williams, Romeo Langford, Neesmith and stuff like that. Shemi um, showed himself. They showed themselves to not be reliable enough to play that because his preference was to, go, was to play small. Now, I don't know what, I don't know what Ime Yudoka's preferences are, are going to be. He might prefer to play big because unlike last year, um, he didn't have, he didn't have another big that can space the floor in the type of way that Al Horford can. Um, so maybe he goes big, but in my opinion, I could see them maybe going with, what surprisingly either Josh Richardson, um, there's been some buzz about Aaron Neesmith, but I don't think he dribbles good enough to, even, even in a role where he's just catching and shooting, he dribbles that bad that I don't know if I want him to start, period. Um, I want him to play. I just don't want him to start. Josh, Josh Richardson could be a guy that gets like that early nod just because he's kind of, he's, he's kind of a two. Um, if, if he's able to, not kind of, he is a two. Um, if he's able to hit some catch and shoots and maybe be like, you know, high, high 30%, low 40% there. And then he brings a defensive kind of integrity back to them between him and between him and smart. That is kind of the backcourt that I think Ime would kind of like to envision of just guys that can go 94 are versatile, can really set the tone at the point of attack. Maybe, maybe he, he values that over rim protection, but that'll be something that will, that, that will bear out. But my, but in my opinion, if I had to pick, um, I would say maybe just out, out off the bench with, with Schroeder, um, start start Josh Richardson and cross your fingers. He can hit he can hit cat and shoot threes um, in a more complimentary role and kind of just you know um, have like really value that point of attack defense um, and hope Rob can cover everything in the back. I don't know that I would have asked this question before they signed Dennis Schroeder because I would have thought it was a no brainer. But who do you think ends up getting more of an opportunity or just playing the bigger role for this team? Is it Peyton Pritchard? or Aaron Neesmith, who both had pretty good summer leagues, although I think it was Nikias Duncan tweeted that he heard people calling Peyton Pritchard uh, Caucasian Kyrie or something, and that was um, that was a little too much for me. 
Yeah, I mean, that was going to be good because, again, Pritchard, Pritchard's another Portland guy. Ime has known him before he came, he came on the Celtics. So there's already kind of a built-in familiarity there. Uh, but at the same time, you know, he plays a position that's kind of a strength for the Celtics. They have Marcus Smart there. Um, they have Dennis Schroeder there who's going to command, you know, a lot of minutes as well. Um, so if for Pritchard's path is he has to show he can play off one of them and still kind of bring it defensively. Um, Neesmith's path, Neesmith's path is a little bit easier because he's a wing, uh, because behind the Jays, there's not a lot of answers there. Um, Romeo, you know, we don't know necessarily what's going to happen uh, with him. Grant had a kind of down year and struggled with confidence last year. Um, so there seems to be like a place for a reserve wing to kind of like butt himself in. So just off, you know, just off, you know, the positions of how they're stacking up now, I would kind of put money on Neesmith just because he showed himself to be a guy that's willing, you know, to go all out defensively, even though I thought some of that was noise. Um, he hustled a lot, which, you know, endeared him to the fans, but his defense, like in terms of like reacting, um, staying in front of guys, wasn't really that great. And I don't think it was that great in summer league. He just hit a lot of shots. So people didn't necessarily realize that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's still going to be, it's really up in the air is what I'm trying to say. Like training camp will determine that in my opinion. But if I had to put like who's ahead right now, I would just go with Pritchard because I think he's a better basketball player at this moment. Yeah, he looked really good in summer league, and Neesmith looked good on offense. Um, I'd probably agree with you with him defensively. His He is the Patrick Beverly of Aaron Neesmith's when you look at his activity. I don't know if there's a rhyme or reason to it all the time. Is mm-hmm. is there like a – so I, I, let me frame it this way. Between Wanher and Gomez, Grant Williams, and Romeo Langford, who ends up playing a bigger role for this team? Do any of them get a chance to even play a real role for this team? Well, I shouldn't be admitting this. You just reminded me Wancho was on the team. This has been a long <laughs> offseason. <laughs> Look, he moved around a couple season. times, so I think that's understandable. Yeah, I forgot all about Wancho. Yeah, so Wancho, um, so yes, for the, one for the previous question, um, Wancho would obviously be involved in, in, in a perimeter guy who's trying to squeeze in for minutes. Um, but I also, um, yeah, that's going to be interesting to see because I know Wancho, there's, there's, there's Jabari. I know some of the training camp guys, they'll see like Gary Clark, Jawan Morgan. Um, I think there's another, I think um, Lou Cornette even, which is crazy, is, 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 is probably going to get a, 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 a look there. It just, it's very... Will once, that be before a, or after they give up a first round pick to get off of Venice Canner? Oh my God. Hopefully after. <laughs> oh God. Uh, I missed that name. Uh, but, you know, so... Yeah, I, I really don't know. Like, after after he gets out of, like, the top, like, eight, nine guys, like, I really feel like it's, like, an open kind of tryout. Like, we don't know what role is going to be solidified. We don't know who's going to rise and get in. Um, I, my money would – my money, I think, if I had to take from some of those, like, um, third-tier guys now, I would look – I would look at – I would look at Wancho. But Jabari showed me a couple things. I'm not ready to give up on Jabari yet. I know he is what he is offensively. Like, I don't see him, like, gaining any crazy flexibility and – being able to do a bunch of things, but he showed me a little something that, as like a guy that could potentially be a playmaker, um, as a guy that could potentially be like just like a scorer, a guy that can play off of like scores and stuff like that. I wonder if like if you have him in a second unit with like Schroeder and Al Horford, if Horford can just like direct him enough that he can be like you know just a neutral guy defensively, and then maybe at least be like a semi-positive guy offensively. So I think that is that'd be huge for a guy like for a guy on a non-guaranteed deal and I just think like with his age as well 
Um, he still plays pretty powerful. So I would, I, I'm, I'm rooting for him. I'm very rooting for him, but I would, I just, just based off NBA body of work is probably Wancho. I will say if they're looking and as you sort of mentioned for another wing type player who can potentially dribble, uh, I wouldn't view it as Hernan Gomez or Neesmith Parker, even though he's a big probably just comes closer to that given what he could do on, on offense. Yeah. Uh, so as you're talking about this, it was just make me thinking, I think Zach Lowe said it on one of his recent podcasts that he has confidence in the Celtics because he feels like they just have a lot of good players. And as I, as I was going through this roster, I found myself agreeing with him, but it also just, as you're talking, it just feels like this mishmash where there's still a ton of mystery involved. The one thing I feel very confident is that they're going to be a defensive nightmare for opposing teams. And so if I were to ask you to fill in the blank of this sentence, the Celtics will rank in the top blank in points allowed per possession. Where would you peg them in that hierarchy? I, I'd say, I'd say top five. Um, I want, I would want to go higher, but rim, rim protection is still a thing that exists. And I, I think Al Horford can be there positionally. I worry about Rob um, just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can build a very elite defense even with those questions. But I think when you get into levels where you're talking about like the Utah and stuff like that, you need to have also that scaring thing of like, okay, there's a guy in the middle who I, I really fear. And if, and if Rob can maintain, even after, after coaches scout him and kind of see his tendencies, if he, if he can maintain that presence, I would probably change my answer to top two, but I have to see it. I have to see it from him first. I have to right. see that he's able to stay disciplined in all types of situations first before I can really say like, yeah, they're going to be like a really, really special defense. Right now, right now I just think they're going to be elite. But if Rob can be like who I hope Rob can be, they have a chance to be very special, very special. Because that, that blend of point of attack defenders from the guard position, defensive versatility from the wing position, and then rim protection from the from the bigs, that that combination is pretty deadly. So um it all it all keys on Rob about how special it could be, but just just foundationally, just with what we know now, I think that's a top five defense off top. I tried to go through it and pinpoint teams that I knew or I thought I knew would be better than them on defense. And I think you can make cases for a bunch, like if how you feel how you feel about Golden State. Um as an example, I came up with Utah. And I came up with Miami, and then I didn't come up with any teams after that just because of what happened with the Lakers this summer, what's going to happen with Ben Simmons and Philly. The Knicks leaned all the way into shot creation. I thought Golden State's defense was like kind of artificially inflated last year. I, I guess Phoenix could be in the conversation, but there are only two teams that I really came away thinking. And I thought about Milwaukee for more than a minute, but I think Utah and uh, Miami are the two, only two teams that I would say they're going to definitively, they're going to have better defenses than Boston this year. Oh, yeah, for sure. And actually, I would kind of disagree with you a little bit. I think Milwaukee can have a better defense. Just off what we know right now, I can't disrespect the champions. And I think there's something about winning a championship and the confidence that comes with that. And just having – now you're you're in year – what? Now Drew Holiday is going to be here for another year. His first he – has, he has his full year now. He's completely comfortable. Um, the other guys are just, at this stage, all corporate knowledge. So before we see anything, I would even give the edge to, to Milwaukee just for now at least. Yeah, I guess I'm just looking and their roster to some extent is going to have to be relying on Shemi Oljale or Rodney Hood uh, and even, you know, Grayson Allen, especially and with uh, Dante DiVincenzo at the start. I think the point that you bring up now, though, with corporate knowledge, they were trying a lot of different stuff defensively last year, and now that's probably going to be second nature for all of them. So 
Um, top five feels right. Uh, I'll, you know what? You talked me into it. I'll put Milwaukee above them, but those are like the only three teams I could really think about. We are now moving into the most unoriginal portion of the podcast because these are questions I ask every single guest about their team. Who is the player most likely to be traded from this team before the deadline as of today? I know stuff changes as the season goes on. Ooh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, uh, without, okay, so. Um, it's also funny. They like limited, there are the no-brainer ones. You know they're not going to trade when you look at Jason Chamon, Dallin Brown. And then there are like, you know, Al Horford, you know, like it isn't going anywhere. And then they, you, you extend Marcus Smart and Robert Williams. So if any deal happens there, like that's not going to be for a while. So the options are pretty fairly limited here. Yeah. And it depends. I, I, I feel like um, if you're, if, if, if we're just assuming that, you know, like the big stars aren't going to be available, like Bill will probably wait to the, the whole year and stuff like that. Um, I would say maybe Josh Richardson, just because I think he's at a comfortable number where, even if you aren't super high on him, you don't feel um, handcuffed by his contract. And just, you know, if, if I could see a world where maybe like a guy like Neesmith or Romeo takes a really big step and Josh Richardson is still struggling with his shot, not really sure of his role, not liking the fact that between Smart and the Jays and Schroeder, he's not getting enough touches dribbling. I could see a world like that where he's not as comfortable with his role. And then, you know, because he's had, he's had such a comfortable number, the team maybe gets like a little deal when they're able to get I don't know, like maybe like a different type of wing, like a, a maybe a bigger wing or something like that, um, that maybe doesn't have the same type of name value. So, oh, maybe like a Richardson for like Joe Wingles and like a second round pick, for example. Ooh. I can see that being, I can see that being likely, like, 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 like something like that. So I would say Josh Richardson. Insofar as you care, I'm going to be lame and say Juan Hernan Gomez. He has that non-guaranteed year next season and if they let's assume Jabari Parker makes the roster dealing like dumping Juan Hernan Gomez would be like the path to them just ducking the luxury tax entirely and so I'm just going to be super lame and save him oh yeah oh that would be very unfortunate because that would say a lot about this front office that they're still ducking the luxury tax that says a lot of not good things for people that need to start thinking about how they're gonna convince the Jays to resign again but yeah the, the I don't I I I, I I think Juancho was good. Um, he also, like, that think, number, $7 million, um, I think it's a hair yeah. over that. That's also a good, like, whether it's a stepping ladder just to help up your return in a certain deal. That just feels like a very digestible salary, and it's basically an expiring contract. Yeah, and it's good. And, I mean, they're going to have a lot of very good tradable contracts come trade deadline. So it'll be very interesting, especially if Bill, like, doesn't, doesn't like what he's seeing, is not into the cryptocurrency magic ventures. <laughs> <laughs> that that Spencer's talking and he requests a deal. It, it'll be some very difficult. It'll be very difficult because the Celtics just like their whole like half their pretty much all their core has very tradable contracts. So um, they'll be in for some. They'll 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 be in for a lot of noise if uh, if, if Bill ever requests a trade. What do you think will be the most used or most effective crunch time lineup for this team? Okay, so the I think the first three I'm gonna put. Um, Smart and then the Jays. Um, I think at the five, all things all things equal, I'll, I'll I'll put Horford, and then things get tricky when it comes to that last spot. Um, there's a lot of options you can go with, but just with what we know of right now, I would go Schroeder because I don't know I don't know what Josh Richardson's gonna how he's gonna fit in. 
I don't know what Nisa is going to do. I don't know what Pritch is going to do. And I don't know what Langford or Grant. I don't know what any of these guys are going to look like this year. But I at least know Schroeder um, has, you know, he has some NBA. He has an NBA resume being at least semi-productive um, as well. And he's and he has a pretty good track record of being good in multi-guard lineups like he showed in OKC. Um, so I could see a situation where you just go like Schroeder, Smart, um, Jays, and Horford and just kind of maximize all the playmaking that you have. Um, you have guys that can face the floor and you just kind of, and, and, and you have, and they, and they can all defend, right? You're not, you're not, you know, set, sending extra guys to help with Dennis um, and stuff like that. So maybe that's, you know, preseason, that, that, that's my top role. And there's a chance that, uh, you know, you could argue maybe Josh Hurston is better than Schroeder or maybe Robert Williams is better than Horford, but there's a chance that just ends up being their five best players of the season. And so that you wouldn't really have to overthink that situation. Oh, and while we're on the pod, the Celtics just signed Ryan Archie Diakono. Yeah, the guy from the Bulls. He has a really annoying face, but hey, he (laughs) might. But I, I know, I know he's 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 an energy guy. Um, He's gonna go to a coach that's gonna appreciate that, so maybe he'll make the team. The training game is gonna be very, very competitive for the Celtics this year. Brad, Brad's bringing a lot of like veteran guys versus what. I think Danny was doing bringing a lot of kids that 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 didn't necessarily that weren't necessarily going to make a difference. Brad Brad has a pretty competitive group of guys in camp, so I'm really interested to see how that's going to go. Is there a? I'm going to make you the head coach. You have the ability to put any quirky, unconventional, out of left field lineup that you want to try on the floor. What would be that experimental five man unit for you? Ooh, ooh, okay. So I'd put Tatum at point guard. I've always I've always wanted to do that. Um, I would put him right next to Jalen. So actually Tatum and Jalen would be my backcourt. Um, for my three and four, um, I would actually have, I would actually have, um, oh, this, oh, this is going to be fun. Okay. Let me just have fun with this then. I'm going to have, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to actually put Aaron Naismith here at the three. Okay. I'm going to put, I'm going to put Romeo Langford at the four. Oh, wow. And, and I'm gonna put Grant Williams at the five. No guards at all. Um, all 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 wing size players. Um, and just run with it and just see what the heck happens. It would be a, a complete disaster because as much as as much as players don't as, as much as we've gotten rid of the the positions and stuff like that, I still think players really still self-identify with roles. And it'd be really weird to see how they are. But I think I think Tatum and Jalen would be comfortable enough. I think Grant has played enough of the five that I and, and Neesmith, he would just run around, shoot, be crazy, dive into stands. Romeo would just be quiet, casually dunk on somebody and just keep on going. I just think there'd be like just so much versatility and passing and vibes and stuff like that. I would I would just I would really just love to see it. But I'm also like a wing nut. So anytime you ask me questions like that, just pick five wings and I'm all good. I'm all in. Well, as you're a wing nut, I'm a small ball nut. And I also, I think you might be the first person who's come on this podcast and given um, a wonkier lineup than I have. Cause I always put so much thought into these questions. So congratulations to you. Mine would be, and it just seems so uninventive after the one that you just named, I would have smart Brown and Tatum. Then I would have Jason Richardson and I would have Peyton Pritchard. You're playing without a center there. Give me all of that. Those are the lineups that I really love to see. I Imagine it'll get absolutely crucified, crucified on the glass. I also can guarantee you that I don't care. I just would want to see what would happen with that five-man group. Oh, yeah. And you can do some fun stuff. Like zone defense as the NBA is going up, up and up. So, yes, you'll still get killed on the glass, but 
if you need a if if if, if you need to protect yourself from size and slow a team down, that's a perfect unit to do stuff like that. I think I think the league is gonna be fun this year. I think we're gonna see a lot of like experimental defenses as you know teams teams have now all everyone it feels like every team now has kind of like small ball lineups and small ball leanings and I think now like we're seeing more like teams trying to exploit each other's small ball lineups and I think a big part of that was zone defenses um, which I think we're we're gonna start seeing an increase more across the league um, as well so I'm interested man this year's gonna be really fun as we record this, Boston's over-under is set at 45.5. Are you taking the over or the under on that? And where do you ultimately see them stacking up within the East? Oh, I wouldn't touch that because there's a <laughs> there's a I just I just wouldn't because after last year, it's kind of like when you pop your tire and then when and then after you get a new tire, after every pothole you think your tires popped. After last year with COVID. I'm just so scared. Like, I just think, like, yo, the worst possible stuff is going to happen to them. You don't know with injuries. You don't know. And that number is set up really nicely where it's like they could go over if they're healthy and stay healthy the whole year. But whoever does that in the NBA, you know? Right. So I would, I think it's closer to being that 45. I could see like a, it's like what, 45 and 35 or something like that, do the record or something along those lines, 45 and 37. That seems like, that seems like respectable. I could see them maybe finishing like, higher 40s maybe touching like early 50s but that's way too close I wouldn't touch it but if I had to pick gun to my head I would go I would go over because I don't see them also on the flip side finishing like too too far below so I, w- I would pick over but um money wise no, I, I wouldn't touch if money was involved <laughs> I wouldn't touch it I I would go over too and I just find myself thinking that Al Horford is going to be so fresh after being able to leave OKC um, last year in the middle of the season and you have I have to imagine no you can't assume health but like hopefully Jalen Brown will miss fewer games Tatum won't have to be dealing with the ill effects of of COVID and maybe Marcus Smart should might miss fewer games and just by virtue of having that that's almost just your path to uh, uh, 46 wins to me that they have to clear so I don't feel too confident I'm with you I wouldn't touch it but I'd go over as well um, is there anything I didn't ask you about that you think needs to be covered about this team? Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't ask me, like, do you want me on the pod before or after the Celtics beat the Knicks on opening night? I'm surprised. I'm surprised you just never talked about this. <laughs> Look, here's the thing is that I have to distance myself from the Knicks after they let Frankie Lapina walk in free agency. Oh, uh, so they needed a three and D wing. He was sitting right there for them. So I'll be rooting for the Celtics when they face the Knicks in the first game of the season, just as just as retribution for the Knicks letting Frankie Smokes leave for Dallas of all teams, too. Oh man, but see, the Knicks just got themselves one of the most elite charge takers of all time in Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker is going to surprise you guys of how well he plays defense. Like I've been a long, I've caped for him on defense. I, he plays his ass off, maybe not as much last year, but like you saw it in Charlotte, you saw it during that uh, inaugural season in Boston. So. I'm just curious, you know, I'm sure you've looked at all the moves they've made. They're putting an awful lot of stock in our defense was very much Tibbs based last year because you let your best perimeter defender walk. Now RJ Barrett has to cover all these dudes. You do have Mitchell yeah. Robinson and Nerlens Noel, but you're, I do think, yeah, everyone likes to claim there's a rhyme and reason to who they were letting shoot three pointers. I think part of that's actually true when you watch them. And then also just that what they were doing off the ball at the same time, there was definitely some luck caked into their opponent three-point shooting and so they lean them leaning all the way into shot creation i kind of get it 
but I'm almost wondering if they went like one or two players too far where it was like, oh, maybe you should have looked at keeping Reggie Bullock a little bit harder. Yeah, that is the thing. I, I actually, I had similar concerns with that, but then also on the flip side, when you have so much more shot creation, like I'm interested to see how Julius Randle kind of reacts to all that. Cause I felt like last year he, he he got to maximize himself because they needed him to do that. You know what I mean? It reminded me a little bit about, of like Isaiah Thomas, that first year at Boston, where it's like, we had no other people that could create shot, could create shooting. So who cared if he did all of that and took all of that responsibility, but I'm interested to see how it is now where you have a guy like Kemba, you have a guy like Evan Fournier now. Um, I'm sure Derek Rose, RJ Barrett wants to take another leap. Like how are, and all those guys are going to be guards, the balls in their hand and making most of the decisions most of the time. So I want to see like, is how, how, what does that mean for Julius Randle's role? And how is he going to react if he's kind of like, if he's now more off ball and then telling right. him to kind of create off the pick and roll now versus like having the rock and kind of making all decisions that way. I was also a little bit disappointed because I would have liked to see RJ Barrett get at least the same amount of on-ball agency. And for all the reasons you just mentioned, I think the Knicks are set up to give him less. And so I think that could potentially stunt his, his growth on offense, even if that you know, spot-up jumper we saw last season is for real. Mm. What are the chances they bring him off the bench? Or because I could see a situation like that, not, not because – he's performed poorly. I can consider him getting better this year and coming off the bench just because it'll, I just see like, I see a lot of guys, a lot of scoring guys mentality in at the guard and kind of like backcourt position where it's like, I wonder if they're going to have to make decisions on kind of spreading out the scoring a little more. And who I, I don't know if you, if you tell Evan and his 17 million that he's going to be coming off the bench now versus RJ, but maybe you do. I don't know, but I, I'm very interested to see the Knicks. The Knicks are one of the more interesting teams to me. I yeah, just want to see how it all turns out. Yeah. And I think either way, the RJ Barrett plus bench units actually kind of killed last year. So even if they start him, I think you need to find a way to stagger him just to get him that growth, whether it's effective or not. But Alex, as the future team president of the Seattle supersonics, where can our listeners find you on Twitter? Man, right now you can find me at underscore Kungu. Uh, I'm sorry, Kungu, K-U-N-G-U, underscore NBA. No no underscore in the beginning. Um, I'm planning on getting back to writing this year. Yes. So, yeah, with, with with the way the season and everything was so jumbled, I, I also got overwhelmed with everything. I just, I couldn't write last year, but I think I'm, I, I I'm going to be back. So if you follow me on Twitter, um, I'll, probably be, I'll probably be somewhere on Substack or Patreon or something like that. Maybe guest blogging for certain sites, but. We'll see, uh, but I'll be back. Follow me, Kungu underscore NBA. Um, I'll be very happy if you start writing again. I will also just wonder where you find the time as a lawyer to actually write about this nonsense on the side. But thank you as always for coming on. It's always a blast. And I'm sure as you know by now, I'll be pestering you again in the future. And hey, no problem, man. It's, it's always great to have you to be on here, man. So thanks for the opportunity.